my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today I'm speaking with Lamore Bergman Gross. She is a mentor for women in tech, has uh, spent over 20 years in uh, like software engineering. Um, uh, we'll get more details as to you know her background as we go into this discussion. But right now she operates her own uh, coaching and consulting firm that specializes in helping women um, really grow within these organizations that are typically male dominated. Uh, I, I just want to say thank you, Lamore, for coming on and, and agreeing to have this conversation with me. And for those listening that are curious and want to learn more about Lamore and, and what she offers, I'll have a link to her website uh, in the show notes. But just real quick, her, her uh, website address is lamorebergman.com. So again, thank you very much, Lamore, for coming on. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure to be here today. This is really cool. We're having this conversation. I'm in Florida and you are in Israel. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's a little deceiving because a bulk of your professional career was in the United States. Is it, That's correct. Yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. Um, Texas and Colorado. Uh, mm hmm and you came here not knowing anybody, really having any connections within the field, and you, you established yourself really under your own will and volition. Yeah, we moved here, and we moved to the U.S. in December 2010. Um, basically, it was initiated by my husband employer. We all, all the, all our family relocated, and we have small. We back then we had four very young children. Now they are not; they're they're still young, but they're not as small as they used to be. And I left my job here in Israel and started my career in the U.S. Before we dig into your your professional career, I kind of want to get a sense of your background. And I, I would imagine you were born and raised in Israel. Yeah, that's true. And were you educated there as well? Yeah, that's correct. Well, can you can you tell me a little bit about your life growing up? What what that was like, and maybe some of your early influences. Uh, well, I grew up in a standard middle class family. I have two siblings, and nothing really special about it. Just very regular, regular, which in a good way, right? Nothing. Yeah too fancy but nothing also bad like it was a normal family i'm the oldest of three kids and i grew up 
went to school, I was, always, I was very shy as a child, very introverted, um, didn't speak much, you know, <laughs> and was uh, a good student, always doing what I'm told, very obedient, I would say, as a child. And uh, after high school, I went to study computer science because I thought basically that's what I can do in life. I think the high school system back then was really tagging you whether you're more into science or more into liberal arts or humanities and stuff like that. So because I was good at math and physics and chemistry, I guess I was tagged as, you know, good in science. And being tagged as such, I went to study computer science. Is it true that everybody in Israel is required to serve within the Israeli armed forces for a certain period of time? That's correct. Women serve usually two years and men three. There are some exceptions uh, if there are medical conditions. For example, my daughter, my oldest, she has a medical, she has a, unfortunately an autoimmune disease. So she was discharged. She even wanted to volunteer, but she couldn't because of her medical condition. Um, but yes, typically, yes, that's correct. And just to clarify, not all women just go to combat units. Actually, it becomes more of a norm than it used to be when I went to the military. When I went to the military, it was not very... Actually, women did not serve in combat units. But nowadays, it's very common. And it's becoming more and more common for women to do if they choose to, to serve exactly as men do. Now, did you go into the military before or after you went to university? Before. Usually you go to the military just right after high school. So you did two years. And what did you do in, in the military? Well, I don't know how to translate it, but basically what I was doing, I was interviewing and, and running some tests on um, high school students that were basically supposed to go to the military. Okay. So before you're going to the military, you're being tested, different kind of tests and interviews just to figure out what you're good for, what can you serve, what can you do? So that's mm -hmm. what I was doing. It was considered actually a pretty... Good thing to do, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Cool. And, and then so from there, you you go to college and yeah. you, you study computer science. And when you finished up with, with university, did you get a job right away? I started actually working on my uh, third year. What happened was that I, I, I wanted to get some experience before I graduate and I wanted a part-time, I also wanted to earn some money, but you know, I wanted to get some experience and was looking for kind of a student job, part-time. And I went to school, I went to, I did both the last year, both studying and working. Nice. And, and so when you graduated, did you, you went to work full-time for mm -hmm. a software company? Yeah, I was a software engineer. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about your early professional experience within that field, what that was like, and, and maybe what inspired you to do what you're doing now? Hmm. Uh, well, it took me 
more than 20 years to figure out that path. As I mentioned, I was kind of, you know, feeling that there is only one thing for me in life that I can do. And as I said, it started like in the school system, I was classified like, oh, you're good in math. So there's one thing you can do. And I think it happens to many of us that we think, oh, we're good at something. That's all the only thing we can do. So when I started my career I, in my early 20s, I mean, I didn't see anything else. Basically, I started writing code. And then at some point, I figured that I wanted to go into leadership and I started managing. It took me many years to figure out that I actually like working with people and, and find my passion, which is supporting other women. What are some of the experiences that that led you to this uh, epiphany? Yeah, so I think it was my personal experiences and the challenges that I had being a woman surrounded mainly by men and, and how I had to forge my way forward and always be very proactive and assertive about what I wanted in my career in order to get what I want. And I knew that not all women are like that. And I'm not saying I'm the most, you know, assertive person, uh, you know, but still I had to push my way forward. So that's one thing. And the other thing I started mentoring around five years ago, it just happened. A company approached me and said, Hey, do you want to mentor? And I started doing that. And I really enjoyed that. Found out that I really, really enjoy that. And especially I liked mentoring women. And I, I felt a lot of satisfaction when I was helping someone achieve something in her career, whatever it was. So that's kind of made me to realize that that's what I want to do. Can you tell me a little bit about what that looks like when I'm guessing that a woman would establish that relationship with you mm -hmm. um, and then moving forward, you would establish what, what they need uh, to develop in order to achieve their version of success. And I'm just kind of wondering like your process for identifying those things and uh, how you help them. So usually when I start working with someone, we try to identify what are her goals. Um, it, we, we try to look more further in her life, like a few years for more long-term vision for her career and then look a little bit closer to the next six to 12 months, what she wants to achieve and what she's hoping to achieve with me, right? We try, I really try to focus them towards very specific goals that they want to achieve. And then we start working towards those goals. Usually it's discovering what is holding them back. What are the challenges they face? And I help them figure out how to overcome those challenges. It can be them figuring that out themselves by me asking the right questions. It could be I'm sharing some of my experiences so it's a combination. It really depends on the situation. When you came to the United States, you've got four young children. Mm -hmm. your, your husband has his career. And you began to establish yourself uh, in, in your profession within the United States, not knowing anybody except your mm -hmm. husband and your mm -hmm. children. Can you... Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe some of the challenges you faced during that time? Yeah, first of all, I was very insecure. 
you know, I wasn't even sure I'm going to find a job, let alone, you know, I wanted to find a job as a manager because that's what I was doing in Israel before we moved. So I started looking and started applying for jobs. It was a complete disaster from my perspective because no one answered me. And I felt really, really bad. <laughs> I felt really bad. I was stressed out because I wanted to work. We needed also the money. All the kids went to private schools and daycares and all that was very expensive. And then I realized that uh, I need to start networking. I need to start do th doing things differently. So first of all, I started networking. Back then, you know, it was 2010. So I was reaching out to recruiters locally in Denver and asking them to meet for coffee, starting to get to know people, right? To network with the right kind of people that could potentially help me. And when I found a job that I liked, I was try and reach out to those recruiters and check if they are connected to someone and if they can help me. I didn't assume that they will just reach out to me because a lot of people say, oh, I'll find a recruiter and they will, they will do all the job for me. And I didn't assume that. I assumed that I have to do the legwork and they can just help open the door for me. And that's eventually what happened in the first job that I found. I also started working heavily on my LinkedIn profile and looking for information online, how to build a profile, what to do, what to write and all that. So I spent hours and hours and hours reading and listening to webinars and everything I could get my hands on to build a good professional LinkedIn profile also to start networking. So the first job I found through a recruiter, basically I found a job myself and then I found one of those recruiters that I met for coffee basically opened the door for me. He liked me just because I was friendly and, you know, it, it, it's enough that you meet someone once for coffee that they, and people usually like to help. So that was the first job. Uh, and then since then, because I was working constantly on my LinkedIn profile, jobs just started to find me. I didn't do, have to do anything. I just wow. started being contacted constantly. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm guessing that you help other women work on their LinkedIn profile. Yeah, yeah. There's a woman I, I helped. We even just started working on her profile. And she's in tech, she's in, you know, software development. And she did a few changes, didn't really invest much. And she started getting a flood of requests. Wow. And now she's interviewing. I mean, that's incredible. Is there like an algorithm that you use or... I don't use any algorithm. What I do is first, as I said, I, I, I help focus those women on what they actually want first. And then we look for jobs that they would like to do, you know, and, and we look at what keywords do, those jobs are using, what are they look for, basically. We do like a market research, I would say. Hmm. Look for jobs, see what they're looking, what kind of sentences they use in the job descriptions. What kind of people are they, what kind of qualities they are looking for? And then we ask, okay, what of those do you have already? And then we start morphing the, the profile basically to reflect what those companies are looking for. Because you want to present yourself the way companies want you to. Yeah. Again, not, not lying or anything, only the truth, but in the lens of the hiring manager. So it takes a little initiative. Or a, a professional coach that I think it takes it takes really changing the way we think of things. And this is by the way on many aspects. I help people with presentation skills and many, many things. 
we tend to think about ourselves. What do we want? What do we have? Instead of thinking of the other side. Hmm. When we change that, that's a big shift. Are you only doing coaching now? I'm doing multiple things. I consult with a Power to Fly. It's a US-based company focused on diversity and inclusion. So I consult with them. And I, I built mentorship program with them. And now I do product business development. So I, I work on strategic partnerships and I do coaching, one-on-one coaching. And I work with other companies on different things like workshops. Today, I did a workshop on presentation skills. So I do different things and I enjoy that. I enjoy being versatile and doing multiple things. Can you talk a little bit about what a diversity and inclusion mentorship program looks like? So first of all, um, the program I built was primarily focused towards women, but let's say it's generic for underrepresented talent. It would be that you will provide opportunity for underrepresented groups to get a mentor. And I would recommend that the mentors will also be from underrepresented groups because those people want to feel a sense of belonging. They want to feel like someone understand what kind of challenges they're going through. So if you are a woman of color, for example, a lot of time women of color, they want to have a woman of color as a mentor, not because a man cannot be a good mentor or like a white woman cannot be, but sometimes the specific ethnic group, I mean, they can relate to the specific challenges that this specific group has. And this, you know, I was amazed and I, I just give that as an example because I was, I was in, a, in a previous company I worked for, I was in this uh, diversity and inclusion committee and I was surprised to hear that women of color, I mean, they were having many challenges that were not exactly the same as I did maybe even worse. Hmm. It was much harder for them. And I guess that's really important to make sure that they get the support they need from the people that can relate to them the most. have been there, done that, went through similar challenges and can help them. What if the organization doesn't have the representation yet yeah. to, to be able to have those mentors in place? What what do that's you do ex- then? That's exactly why I built a program with Power to Fly. So companies that don't have the representation can get external mentors uh, to help them. That's exactly why we build it. So companies can build an internal mentorship program, which is great, but it can also rely on external mentorship programs like Power to Fly to get an external mentor. And, and there are multiple benefits to that, not just that you don't have necessarily the mentor from the right, from the same background, but also you get an external perspective. A lot of time people from the same company, especially if people work there for a while, they kind of, they have sometimes some limited way of thinking. They think the same, they think alike, right? Because they're in the same organization with the same values, with the same mentality. And having someone external doesn't know what they're, you know, doesn't understand the company value that doesn't come from there can bring a lot of good things, can bring a different way of thinking. And really, that's what you're looking for when you're when you're trying to create that diversity. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting that you know I've experienced some organizations where 
they're they're kind of set in their ways there's that i don't know a lot of their skills are they're siloed and they continue to operate doing the same things the same ways and there could be a lot of better ways of doing things better equipment software whatever better tools available but they've always used this and that's what they know so why change it, it takes some fresh eyes there's a lot of organizations out there that could stand to you know bring on board some fresh talent fresh eyes fresh perspective um yeah that that diversity brings with it yeah and uh, as you mentioned i mean if you don't open up and you don't move forward then you it means that you move backwards i used to do this workshop and just a segment of the workshop i talk about that where if you're not growing if you're not trying every day to grow just a little bit um you end up in this stagnant state. Mm -hmm. And if you are in that stagnant state too long, you start to deteriorate. You start to decay. And before you know it, that is the norm. And nobody, nobody gets better from that, you know? Yeah, completely agree with you. Unfortunately, it happens a lot to people who are stuck in the same place in a comfort zone the same place for too long it's really difficult for them to change what is your experience with organizations like that like how do you help them uh, climb out of that hole i think organizations that that even consider hiring someone external are already already understand that there is a problem, right? And it, it only takes one or two people that are open and are willing to listen. Sometimes there are those holdouts, you know, the, the negative Nancys that like to poo-poo on everybody's parade and like, why are you trying to change stuff? Why are you trying to change stuff, Earl? <laughs> <laughs> For those people out there that, are in one of these organizations, like how could they get the ball rolling towards that, that change? Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I mean, if they, if they wanna change, first of all, they have to change themselves. I mean, I think that it starts with personal example with, set, with being a role model and then just showing possibilities. I think people, can be rejecting to change when they feel they don't have control. So a lot of times, and this is a strategy that I used a lot when I want to influence any kind of influence, it's showing several options and, and trying to, to give the options really as they are with facts, not involving emotions too much, right? Not emotional um, and showing different different options and, and really allowing the other person to digest that information and to feel like they are part of the decision. Mm. It doesn't work all the time. Yeah. If people are setting their ways, sometimes there's so much you can do. Right. 
but at least you know if you allow people to feel like they have some control or sometimes you know when you want to influence someone and even if you brought some ideas but you let them feel like they actually it's it's a lot of times it's hard because we have our ego and all that but sometimes if you put your ego aside and you let the other person kind of get the information and let them feel like they actually part of that like they made a decision maybe even like it was their ideas they are much more open than if you tell them oh you're wrong we need to do that <laughs> I, I i talk about the importance of having more women in leadership positions within male-dominated organizations um and i and i lay out several several reasons all based in fact and research but i'm i'm interested from you know hearing from your perspective what are what are some of the highlights of you know benefits that come with bringing more women into male dominated organizations and and having that growth uh, and the diversity and inclusion so that um, you have more women in leadership positions. Because I would, I would imagine that when you took on the leadership role, managing some teams, it wasn't like all of the team managers were, were women. Um, no, there were some because I had a very good manager that really cared. There were some, definitely. Yeah, but I, I worked in many organizations that I was the only woman, you know. And I had to face that. That's okay. I mean, it's not that I felt... I, I didn't feel like anyone was against me or anything like that. I always come with a positive attitude. And yes, there are some better managers than others. But your question about having more women leaders, and in general, I think having a diverse leadership team is very important. First of all, you get diverse opinions. Right. Diverse opinions is a good thing. Right. Because that really, uh, the thing that uh, prevents stagnation. Yeah. A lot of opinions, a lot of options to the table. Women brings different kind of leadership. They have less ego. They're very compassionate, typically, and they think about, they care about people that work for them. And I'm not saying that men are not, but, you know, it's very, very high level generalizing, right? Because we're all different. Every person is different. But in general, I, I noticed that men are driven more uh, by ego and competitiveness. They are very competitive and women are less so. They're more rational and they put the ego aside and, and more care about the bottom line and the team. And again, it's very general. I don't want anyone to think like men are not compassionate that they, you know, that are all egomaniacs, but, but in, in very, so, so when you kind of have a combination, I think that's where magic happens. And, and it's not just women and men, but again, people from different backgrounds. I think it's a good thing. And, and I was always trying to hire people from different backgrounds from different places in the country from different you know cultures it's a good thing when when you know one of the things that i noticed that happen is that 
a referral program, right? It's, in general, it's a good thing, but it can also be very dangerous. When people refer, more people like them. And, and I, I saw that in companies that there are a lot of referrals from the same company, people that work in the same, org- so they all think alike. One of the things that you, you said about um, you know, being more, more rational and I, I think that there's a misconception that that men are more logical and women are more emotional, whereas I think those are the wrong terms to use because I, I think that the way women view things, it's more holistic and can be more rational at looking at, at a lot of different uh components of a big issue. Whereas men, I think, tend to focus on, okay, well, there's this issue, and there's this this issue, and there's this issue, and you address them individually, but they're they're connected in certain ways. And I think that women have that natural talent of seeing those interconnected pieces and being able to address all three uh, areas in a way that they can all be addressed at the same time and the little connections addressed in the same vein. So those are some of like my observations just from, you know, a, a white male standpoint, you know, uh, I've, I've learned a lot from women in leadership positions and it's, it took, well, I mean, I, I came into the fire service as, you know, one of the majority, mm-hmm. and I had very similar viewpoints to the majority, and it took uh, a, a woman, a senior uh, female firefighter to pull me to the side and, and tell me how ignorant I was being, <laughs> and uh and I, and I took notice and I, and I respected her opinion and I started evaluating, okay, these are some of the things that I said, and I should be really embarrassed about these viewpoints that I once held because man, how wrong I was. And sometimes I think men and women should do this on a regular basis, but evaluate our opinions and why do we have those Mm -hmm. is it because that's what the group think is or do we actually come to those those ideas or opinions through experience or is it the experience of somebody else that heard it from somebody else or Mm -hmm. you know because i think a lot of times those that that cultural perspective can perpetuate and the situation not even exist anymore. I think you mentioned uh, about emotional and I think a lot of people confuse being emotional to being sensitive. Yes. And women are more sensitive. It doesn't mean that they're more emotional because emotion can also be anger. It can also be jealousy. Yes. Not just being sensitive or, you know, when you see someone like a woman can be 
I don't know, maybe crying or anything. Oh, she's, she's too emotional. Well, and then if you think about the egos involved with a competitive culture where, you know, you want to talk about feelings getting hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of men with hurt egos. Yeah. You know, uh, shoot, I, I've had a hurt ego plenty of times. So <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not immune from that. But I, I think what is really important, one of the things that I've I've worked very hard on with people that I've coached and mentored is the emotional intelligence aspect of leadership. Um, There has to be a level of self-awareness and Mm -hmm. um, being able to empathize with the people that you're leading. Absolutely. What are some lessons that you've learned through working with people from different backgrounds, lessons that it's hard to to look back and go, man, I wish I had known that then because we learn along the way. You can't know everything in the beginning, but some valuable lessons that you like to pass on, Mm -hmm. some that you learned personally. Yeah, I think that working with different people uh, assume less because we make a lot of assumptions, even in in our subconscious that we don't think about. We make a lot of assumptions. So less assumptions and and more curiosity, be more curious to understand where people are coming from, what are their challenges. A lot of times we, we can be irritated by someone, by their behaviors, and we assume different things, but eventually we're completely wrong. Right. I'll give you just a, a very plain example because I haven't, I, I cannot think of anything else to share. But like I had, I had someone who was uh, working very strange hours. Like he was starting to work at like eleven a.m. or something, not before eleven. And everyone was very irritated by that. And was very angry. What's going on? This person, you know, he's lazy, right? I mean, he never start work at a decent time. And I said, you know what? I don't know. I need to check because I really like this person, and I thought that they were very good what they do. And I talked to him and I said, what? You know, I stuck with the facts, right? Facts. I noticed you're not available before eleven. Just wanted to check what's going on. Is everything okay? And then he said, you know, my most effective hours are before are between 11 to 8 p.m. Those are the hours I work the best. If that's okay, those are the hours I would like to continue working. And I said, well, that actually makes a lot of sense. If that's yeah. what, the only thing I need from you is just be, be transparent to the team about your availability and, and, and participate in important meetings. That's it. Yeah. It was very simple, right? I could have assumed that he's lazy and said, well, you never get to work on time. You have to be available from 9 a.m., right? So assume less, make less assumptions and be open, be open to understand the other people and where they're coming from. Well, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you feel is important to, to share with the audience? Maybe, 
Well, here's some, what are you most passionate about in this uh, realm of coaching and mentoring? So my, my mission is to help more women get further in their careers. And I want to see more executive women, more women in executive roles. That's my passion. Specifically, I work mostly with women in tech because that's where I feel I can bring the most value because I'm coming from that world. So that's my passion. It's not the only thing I do, but that's what I'm super passionate. If I can make a small difference, right? And to help some women, I feel a lot of satisfaction from that. What is the, the most important thing that you believe you know, is, a, is a key factor for, for women to move into those positions? I think women just need to realize that it's something that is possible for them and to seek help. And companies need to realize that they would want to have more women in executive roles, identify those individuals and help them. So I think both, it goes both ways. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and and share your story and your passion with the audience. Absolutely. Really cool. And for those listening, if they want to enlist your services or, you know, connect with you, uh, maybe just dip their toe into your, your realm, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, so there are two ways they can connect with me. They can go to my website, limorbergman.com, or they can go to LinkedIn, uh, where I'm most active. Um, it's also Limor Bergman. Just look for me and you'll find me. Yeah, right. cool. I'm and happy to connect. Is your, your LinkedIn profile linked on your website as well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will have a link to your website in the show notes. And um, yeah, I would encourage everybody listening, you know, if, if you've got an interest in this, please reach out to Lamore. Uh, she has seen great successes and helped others uh, realize some great successes. So please reach out. Thank you so much, Dave. It's been a pleasure to be here today. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.